Hello, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of Red Envelope. Today, I'm actually doing the podcast along with our guest in Hong Kong. His name is Mehdi Sawidi. He's the head of fintech at the Digital Bank of Singapore, also known as DBS. Mehdi has a very, very fascinating and I would say interesting and exciting journey, not just from places where he has been, but also the type of roles that he's been involved in. And today we're going to obviously talk about what's going on in Hong Kong, what's going on with the bank DBS, which is one of the very, very, I would say one of the most innovative banks, and also his view on what's going on in the territory and beyond. So thank you very much for joining us today, Mehdi. Thank you very much. Hi, everyone. And I'm really glad to be here with all of you. All right. So let's talk about your journey. Um, traveling from Europe to Hong Kong, which, you know, I, I'm biased. I love the territory because this is where I was born and raised. Um, you have also done different roles from corporate to startups and then doing corporate innovation with arguably one of the most innovative banks in the territory. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey, how all of that came about? Uh, yeah, uh, sure. Um, uh, just before, I would like to thank you again to give me the opportunity to be on the podcast, and uh, and I'm really glad to be here. Um, yeah, so I'm French, as you can hear my, with my accent, and uh, I'm from the north of France, uh, from a really small village, and my dream was always to travel a lot and live a different experience. So my experience uh, after graduation um, sent me to um, Korea to uh, visit the country and some friends, did an internship in Vietnam. I came back to France to do a master's degree in finance. And I moved to Canada uh, near Halifax uh, for one year as a banker there. And I had the opportunity to become um, a trade banker for a French bank in Hong Kong for two years. So I was mostly a sales in a structured product and funds management. Uh, and also start uh, the activity of uh, DPM, discretionary, discretionary portfolio management for, for that bank in Hong Kong. And after two years with them, I tried to embrace um, a new world with the blockchain. So what happened, I met different uh, entrepreneurs at that time, and they said that my profile was interesting. And, and one of them was uh, really inspiring for me. So I followed him in startups. We start to work on blockchain projects for enterprise. It was in 2016. And it was before the race of ACO, before the hack the on the DAO uh, with, uh, with Ethereum. And uh, I discovered also the fintech at the same time. And after that, I worked for a couple of months with them. Unfortunately, the company failed. So I came back to a bank as a project manager for a couple of months, start to create my own event on the fintech in Hong Kong where I ran different uh, topics, payments, blockchain, uh, user journey, um, uh, red tech, things like this. And I moved back to a startup. The name was Private Technologies, fintech startup, for one year and a half before I joined GPS recently. That's my background. It's a bit long, sorry. <laughs> well, that was actually short and sweet. Um, so thanks for that, Mehdi. So um, one of the things about working with PBS, I think, is uh, they've been leaders in, in embracing emerging technologies. They have been on top of most of their innovation rankings. So I, I remember writing about this on uh, one of uh, reports, one of the reports uh, released by Finesca last year, 
I was blogging about it, and, uh, and out of uh, about seven or eight categories around, uh, across uh, corporate innovation, DBS were topless, uh, I think three or four of them at least. Um, so you're working in a space where there is a lot of, um, uh, the, the culture is very innovative, and it's, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's amazing to be part of that. So tell us more about the culture there, what helps them um, stay ahead of the pack, and uh, what motivates you about it. Okay, perfect. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm lucky because DBS has a strong foundation innovation. I think everything starts when uh, the CEO of the group, uh, Apiyush Gupta, came in 2010 and where he wants to embrace technology for better services in the bank. So uh, since that time, they tried to build uh, in in-house technology company. Um, so DBS um, starts uh, this kind of path with different accelerators. So they run the first accelerator for startups in Singapore and then in Hong Kong in 2015. Um, and he helps the bankers to just do the, you know, a kind of switch in the mentality and understand how the technology can help for better integration of the, and better execution of the process. Um, so for example, for Hong Kong, they run the accelerator during three years. They met folks uh, approximately 45 companies and a couple of POCs and pilots and even deployment of these companies in different fields uh, like uh, AML, uh, RecTech, also alerts for, for um, different kind of, of, uh, of, uh, of fraud. Um, what they have done as well, a um, couple of AI solutions as well, using a bit of data, uh, data uh, with machine learning. Uh, and uh, so when I came to DBS, I was really surprised to see the bankers coming to me and say, we want to try new solutions here. We find a startup already with who we want, who we want to work and we know already the scope of work. So in terms of, um, of culture, it was really impressive because I worked in a startup last year and it was really hard sometimes to, uh, you know, to speak with different bankers, they don't know what they want and they ask for many, many um, amendments for POC periods and for POC you need just to see the feasibility of, of, of the project and determine what you can achieve after that and not try to change everything since the beginning. So I started in February in, 10, in uh, five, six months we have done 10 POCs, 60% went to deployment, so it's a really good ratio. Uh, for the four POCs we don't want to deployments because we have the capacity to do it internally. Or, uh, the outcome was not enough uh, good to, uh, to continue with this uh, kind of uh, workflow, new workflow pattern. So uh, a lot of uh, learnings from just POCs. Um, we are mostly focusing on machine learning right now, big data. I want to say that 60 to 70% of our projects are related to AI and machine learning, and 30% are related to users. So I'm I'm actually curious listening to you know what you were talking about with the POCs and the learning in in your point of view or or either way or you know from what you've understood from how um, DBS has been operating so far since you joined the company do you think it's better for banks to partner with fintechs or is it better for them to you know garner these you know learnings um, and then develop the expertise in house. And is that a so, trick question? Well, super. Uh, yeah, um, really good question. So 
I think it depends on the model of the bank. So for example, DBS is almost 90% cloud on technology solutions. So um, we are running the different uh, product and teams by platform. We have around 34 platforms run by the different teams. So for example, um, data is one of the platforms that you run. And working on the cloud solutions, you have three pillars. So you have the um, software as a service, SaaS model, infrastructure and platform. Where it's easy to work with uh, startups and, and fintech is most of these companies are working on cloud solutions. Most of them are most SaaS solutions, so they can just come, plug their solutions to your platform, and we can play um, you know, end-to-end -end if we have uh, the total workflow uh, created with that kind of solution there, um, um, uh, a process. So for example, one of the process can be digital onboarding. So maybe the company have um, uh, eKYC solutions and it's missing a verification of document tool. And after this, you have all the other process after that. But if you plug that verification of document uh, tool there on that platform, you can run the total 100% uh, of uh, digital onboarding, eKYC, verification of document and AML solutions in one go. Uh, kind of hybrid solutions. Uh, you don't work alone, uh, you need collaboration, and FinTech just can come and increase uh, the speed of an API. They can create also a new workflow to work with them. Uh, that's, that's quite good. Um, uh, and what I see is also hybrid solution where the bank creates the front end, creates the platform, but use the engine and back end of the startup. Uh, I think is more and more what we see here at DBS, but also the future trend of the market. Mehdi, thanks for that. Uh, so you mentioned that a lot of your projects are uh, currently focused on big data and, uh, and artificial intelligence. So uh, if you look at the European ecosystem, there is quite a lot of push towards open banking um, uh, driven by the PSD2 regulation. So um, how is the open banking ecosystem and culture in Hong Kong and, and in generally in Asia? So is it is it moving more towards um, API um, uh, driven uh, ecosystem? Is that how it's working or looking to grow into? Uh, yeah, so Singapore uh, already has uh, advanced a lot on this kind of project uh, the past couple of years with OpenAPI. Um, in Hong Kong, we are voting now um, an initiative from HKMA starts this year in January with phase one on an OpenAPI, but it was really focused on documentation. So phase two will be released in, in, uh, in October, just before the FinTech week of Hong Kong uh, in November, uh, and we will have new guidelines. So for the phase one, banks need to share a couple of documentations and create relationship with third-party lenders. For phase two, I think we will certainly focus more on the, the connectivity on those APIs and maybe focus on something like payment to do some tests. Uh, we still need to explore, but I think uh, we have four phases. So phase two will be October, and 2020 will be phase three and phase four. Uh, banks are um, uh, really proactive on this kind of initiative right now, and the collaboration with SGMA is quite strong. We have a lot of meetings, some deadlines to respect, and uh, that's kind of you know uh, a discussion ongoing every not maybe every weeks but every month with regulators and different banks. 
Other thing in Hong Kong, uh, you spoke about on-premise banking. We have the virtual banking licensing uh, coming in, uh, in the coming months. So eight banks, virtual banks, has been approved by HDMA and will be released by Q3 or Q4. It's mostly big players who came with the virtual bank uh, solutions. Um, some banks like uh, Bank of China and Standard Chartered, but also uh, tech players from China like Ant Financial, Tencent, Xiaomi. Uh, they came to kind of a big uh, association of them. Uh, you can find the information on Google, you have eight names. So just the last point. Uh, um, so we saw a lot of initiative recently uh, even with the SFC on the crypto uh, regulation, where they published a white paper, uh, I think it was in March, end of March, um, to give some guidance for, for customers. So um, I think we are quite, uh, quite uh, impressing the change here. That's music to my ears. Um, I think yesterday I was just having a discussion with somebody on the, um, you know, on, on what HKMA is doing with the virtual banking licenses and, and um, you know, speculation on what Singapore or other regions will, will do because, you know, they are, they are sort of neck to neck. Um, they, they do like to compete. <laughs> so, so with that, <laughs> that, that's an understatement, right? Um, so, so with that, I'm, I'm curious uh, about your take on um, the Hong Kong innovation ecosystem. How, how would you compare that to other regions in Asia, for example, China, Singapore, and what have you? Or do you see similar um, from a regulatory perspective and also from a competition perspective um, and, and, and innovation, how do you see the different regions compared to each other? So what is interesting compared to Europe uh, is, is here it's really fragmented. Uh, so the relation between Hong Kong and China is really different. Between Hong Kong and Singapore is really different too. Um, what I've seen in terms of tech and companies is China is super mature and they are really the king of data as you know how to process the data, how to be closer to you. I remember the first time I went to a FinTech conference in, in Shenzhen, so just the city next to Hong Kong in China. I saw some homeless on the street with a QR code uh, just in front of them. And I was really shocked because uh, it was the first time I saw that. Normally you see them with a bucket of, of, of you know, some nuts and some coins, but no, they use a QR code to ask people to give them money through WeChat directly because you have the application WePay or you can collect money and you can also send the money to merchants to pay. So for example, when you're going to China, you can pay your taxi with WeChat, restaurant with WeChat, or even your go to the store and pay with this application. Um, so it was, for me, it was a nail problem. Um, I do believe that Thailand is performing quite well also in terms of uh, startups, but also in terms of ecosystem. Uh, I think there's a pretty good ecosystem there, quite active. Um, Singapore is definitely a place for startups where um, the mass, so the monetary authority of Singapore helps them a lot with different initiatives in the past and still helps them a lot right now. Um, also, adoption of mobile penetration is quite good there. Um, when you take a taxi, you can pay by credit card, digital wallets, or by cash. For Hong Kong, it's a bit different. We still need to pay the taxi with only coins. It's, uh, it's a bit surprising, but we don't use credit card for taxi or we can pay with digital wallets as well. 
for digital wallets, the most famous one is the one run by um, HSBC here, PayMe. And we don't have uh, big competitors except uh, maybe uh, Apple Pay and WePay and Alipay. Um, in terms of startups ecosystem in Hong Kong, I think there are around 500 uh, fintech companies here, uh, mostly B2B because Hong Kong is still a small market, it's only 7 million of, uh, of citizens, and they try to focus a lot on, on, on the financial sectors. I want to say by my experience, it's easier to work with different countries like Malaysia, Thailand, and Singapore than in Hong Kong, but things are changing progressively. We would like to give a mention to our creative partner, Tremendousness. Tremendousness is a creative agency that uses visual thinking, information design, and storytelling to help organizations explore and innovations, products, and processes. Learn more at www.tremendo.us. Let's move to a slightly different topic, uh, blockchain. So you've been involved in blockchain for a few years now and uh, been fortunate because Asia has been home turf for blockchain in many ways. So you're currently on the, um, uh, on the fin you're, you're kind of the board of directors of FinTech Association of Hong Kong, where you were also the co-chair of the blockchain company for a couple of years. So tell us about what you find fascinating about the growth of the technology there has been a few uh, struggles over the last couple of years that the technology has had um, what are your thoughts around it and how do you see this progressing with some of the more recent developments around Facebook Libra and uh, JPM coins and and the more the permission blockchain world as well so where do you see the industry moving that's a good question, <laughs> and it's a tricky question sometimes as well. Um, yeah, so everything started for me with the blockchain, but um, it was really hard at the time to penetrate uh, the market with some solution there, because you don't need blockchain for everything, and I think most of the projects now don't need blockchain. But you still can create um, kind of process and kind of proof of concept where you can try to use at least workflow and one of the blocks on your workflow is using a database, distributed database, DLT. Blockchain solutions can be on the L3, consensus, or Hyperledger, um, or a new technology that I don't know the name yet, but um, we don't need a distributed uh, ledger for every aspect of the business. For example, in financial institution, there's a lot of trust between um, regulators and big banks because they work together since already many, many years, and for some of them, like in the US, centuries. Um, what was really hot in 2017 was the ICO, and I think we had a fever here in Hong Kong where everyone was really excited about it. I think Hong Kong was one of the first places in the world where crypto and blockchain were really, really, really a big topic. Um, because when I came back to France and to Europe, I didn't feel that kind of, um, you know, craziness there, excitement. Um, in Hong Kong, we had many ICOs in 2017, many crypto exchanges start also in Hong Kong. Some of them are really successful today, like uh, uh, BitMEX, who is one of the biggest in the world. Um, in terms of enterprise blockchain and um, cross-border blockchain, 
couple of initiatives was run by Astri and HKMA. So Astri is one of the right arm of technology for uh, HKMA, the regulator of Hong Kong, where they try to create kind of um, platform where we can see the valuation of the mortgage through blockchain uh, technology. Uh, they did two phase in 2016 and 17 and was released during the two fintech week. A um, uh, couple of banks here are running their project, but we don't have a lot of communication of it. Uh, for DBS, we were part of the eTrade Connect. It was an initiative from HKMA last year, where we tried to create a kind of network of different banks, and the banks have to give a nod uh, to that networks. Also, uh, DBS has worked on a project in Singapore with AdboCorp, you can find some information on Google, uh, where we was a bank partner with them. So they're doing a kind of blockchain platform for, for um, agriculture. And, uh, and yeah, we were the partner for this kind of uh, project, mostly run on API. Uh, what I can say about blockchain, uh, we did with the FinTech Association the white paper and ecosystem map last February, where we tried to uh, collect the name of every Russian companies. And I think we had more than 200 names uh, who came on that map. Obviously, we didn't put all the logo on that map, but you can find everything on the, on the document on the FinTech Association website. And what can I say more than this? Um, yeah, and when we are doing something with the FinTech Association related to blockchain, we have a quite good uh, feedbacks and adoptions of our events or documentations, white papers that we wrote. Um, so I think blockchain is something in the core of uh, the identity of the fintech of Hong Kong and ecosystem in the, in the startups. So let's, let's um, take that and, and, and move um, and, and talk a little bit about another emerging technology that, that I, I, always, I always personally find quite fascinating is around artificial intelligence and machine learning, right? There's a lot of hype out there as to what can AI can do? Um, how can banks and uh, fintech startups adopt such technology and what can they do for both from an operating efficiency perspective of banks as well as for consumers? How do you view um, the application of, of, of AI and machine learning in, in banks um, in general or in DBS? And um, where do you think has been the most useful so far? Just, you know, aside from the hype. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good question. So um, definitely there is many ways because um, on AI you have different fields. One of the fields where I've work previously with private technologies and uh, we are running some tests also here at DBS is a text-to-speech technology. How to transfer a text to a voice message on your phone. For example, this one can be really useful for the risk disclosure of a fund or uh, a financial product to understand what are the risks there. So when I was at Privé, we have work on this kind of system we can help percentage manager to uh, generate a voice call directly to read the documents because sometimes it can be misread, misunderstood, or mis misinterpreted. Uh, with a robot, there is no problem with the voice because it's really accurate and the accentuation is perfect. So uh, you have this kind of uh, tools where on your end you need to call clients, sell phones, for example, and need to read that free disclosure. Using AI here can help 
to send the message to the to uh, to the clients, but also to record when you use it, when you did it. For example, if you do it today at six thirty-five Hong Kong time, you have a timestamping on the computer on email generated uh, or records directly on your company's tool. Another thing can be the opposite: voice to text. When you have a call with the clients, uh, maybe you don't understand what he wants to say to you, what are his requests, or if it's happy or not. With the connective banks and with respect to uh, voice to text technology, you can create an automatic report and understand what he wants, if it's happy, unhappy, if you reply to his answers or not, and if you can um, move forward with his request. Um, this can be definitely a tool that can help relationship manager in the daily relationship with the, with, the, with the customer. For data analytics uh, and uh, machine learning, it's more about how you run your analysis because banks have thousands of data of um, different kind of data for the clients. But today, they maybe don't know how to run this uh, data, analyze this data, and have you know, an insight from this one. Uh, you know, the data need to speak directly to the banker and the banker don't need to speak with the data. So it's interesting to see what kind of models we can generate right now that we didn't have before, on, for example, on Excel, and how this kind of tool in Python and new models with Python can improve already the current workflow we have on, on Excel. So, for example, we ran a project recently where we use predictive data to analyze our current data that we have and see if, if we go give a loan to someone, it will be a successful loan reimburse or it will be a fail. And we can increase the percentage of, of predictive analytics from 40% to 80%. So it's really more accurate. You have obviously also a way to use big data, machine learning and AI uh, in different workflow. You can apply them in, you know, on the compliance, on investment banking, consumer banking, also HR. Oh yeah, yeah, one of the really cool tools that we have done also is that uh, we have created a chatbot for HR in Singapore where uh, uh, a candidate passes the first filter, the first interview will be directly on the phone with a chatbot. So the chatbot will ask some questions to the, to, the, to the candidate, the candidate will reply and we can create a report after seven minutes of discussion with the candidate to see if it fits to the next stage or not. And it helps definitely uh, HR teams to save 30 minutes of work by candidate and we can save um, almost four months of work on a year with 500 applications, 5,000 applications. Mehdi, thanks for that. So let's just, uh, just, I just have a closing question if that is okay. So if you took the Asian ecosystem, we have China and India, have been leading the fintech activity. Um, if, if in fact, uh, if I'm brutally honest, China has dwarfed the rest of the world uh, with its uh, fintech and payments volumes that we see, like 40 trillion in, um, in payments volumes last year. So uh, we don't, we don't. I, at least for me, I, I don't have one day which uh, where we don't hear or talk about something <laughs> related to the Chinese ecosystem. And they're also investing quite a lot in emerging technology, as I understand. So if you were to take AI, blockchain, or even um, quantum technologies, their investment into research dwarfs even the might of the United States. So um, if you had a crystal ball where you were asked to kind of um, predict the next five years, how it's going to look like from an east versus west angle, um, 
what would you say would be the status quo in, in, in five years uh, from an innovation standpoint? Ooh, that's a good question. Everything moves really fast. So for me, where we have big impact for the next five years will be AI and machine learning, definitely. Um, they will change the way that we work and they are already changing the way that we are working right now. I think that we, we have more and more, I think, credit scoring based on your social life on your phone. Um, there is more and more projects that are coming to create kind of alternatives um, credit scoring on the emerging countries where we can uh, put an SDK. So an SDK is like a kind of tracker you put on applications invisible. You need still to approve uh, the usage of this one, but you can track where you are, locations, and uh, track a couple of information about you. And so you become kind of mini tracker and we can be more uh, close to to the consumer of the phone. So there is a couple of companies already in the world that just by apply, 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 um, installing that application, they can see what kind of person you are and do a classification of what you are. And this is something we will see more and more, I think. We have an episode on Black Mirror uh, uh, with this kind of pretty social risk. Um, definitely the way how we interact with the phone, uh, we will have more, less and less bankers in our world. Um, and more and more fund applications related to finance. Um, but it's not only for the banks, I think also for all the industries. If you go to Singapore and you go to the last terminal, the Terminal 4, the most recent one, you have less humans than before. And just using computers, you can just uh, take your flight tickets, also the, um, 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 register your, your baggage, and you just can go directly to the custom zone uh, without speaking with anyone. It's the same now with some banks in, uh, in Europe with Revolut. You have your application on your phone and do everything. But it will be more and more like this in the future for me. So I don't imagine the bank of, uh, of uh, in China or in India in five years from now, but less legacy system, more uh, personalized services for, for the users and uh, and also uh, more anticipation, predictive analytics. So if you buy a TV, maybe you will receive a uh, notification on your phone to say, hey, you just buy a TV one minute ago, do you want to buy that insurance to protect your TV for the next five years or for a computer like a Mac? I was in the Singapore airport a couple of months ago and, and I saw exactly what you talked about. I, I, I'm like, wait a minute, I went through the entire experience, right? Checking in, putting my luggage through security, getting in um, with my boarding pass and all the way through passport control. And I didn't see one person. I didn't have to talk to a person, which was like, wait a minute, this is so different than um, what I was used to in, in the US. So, and it takes only two to five minutes to do it. <laughs> right? It, it was fast and efficient. But... That, that brings to something else that we always ponder about though, right? You know, with advanced technology, with AI, with the chatbot that you were talking about earlier, with, with all the technology and convenience that comes of it, sometimes it almost feels like, wait a minute, where is the human touch, right? Exactly. Where, where are the people? Where, where is the person to person? What if something happens? What if I have a question? What do I do? 
Um, so, so, you know, along the line of, of what you were talking about, um, you know, where, where we think things will go in the different regions, what do you think the DBS of the future would look like? What do you think the bank, where do you think the bank will be? Would that follow similar route where banking from a service perspective will fade into the background and um, you foresee consumers and, and businesses that will be interacting more with technology? Do you want to throw a, a, a prediction there? Uh, yeah, so I try to imagine the bank like in five years, like more like a Spotify application on Netflix, where you need to buy a membership to do all your application on your phone. But also, if you listen to Spotify or watch Netflix, you have recommendations of movies that you, you may like. And, uh, and the percentage uh, of accuracy is quite good, I'm pretty sure. So uh, for me, it works pretty well. I don't know for you guys, but yeah. Um, so I think for the bank, it would be the same. If you want to make investments, you have recommendation of investments and it would be really easy to click there. Um, what we are seeing right now is uh, digital onboarding as well. So if you experience uh, to create a bank account with a new bank, it takes maybe one or two days for you, uh, depending on the country where you are. But in a couple of months in Hong Kong, it would take only maybe 20 to 50 minutes to do all the process of the digital onboarding. So identity process, QIC, you know your customer, um, verification of the document and anti-money anti laundering system. So it's coming there, it's coming fast. Um, the job of a banker with a human touch will be only for me for mass affluent and eight networks individual where they need a, a personalized services because in the end of the day, those guys don't want to know that 4% is less, but, or is better than 3%. But um, they want to know that you are close to them, you know their needs. Uh, if they have a family, what is important for them? If it's a risky investment, or if they want to, uh, you know, do some uh, investment for the MP of their kids in 20 years from now. Uh, if your client wants to get engaged and plan to be married in two years, how he can save his money to prepare this event in his life, or if he just wants to buy a car. It's things that I see uh, in the banking of tomorrow. Uh, and, uh, and also one of the things we are doing in DBS, but it's not my team, uh, we try to understand what is the banking of 2013. So one of the information is we are already investing part of our budget for every team there. So Horizon 2030, what will be the bank there? How we can work with the bankers now to anticipate those needs and yeah, um, I want to say a significant part of our budget is already invested. I look forward to it. Um, I think it's it's very fascinating where technology will lead us in the future, and how you know we will we will balance um, amounts the uh, what what we can do and what we should do. So with that, thank you so much for joining us this evening, and I look forward to actually meeting you in person, Mehdi. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers, Mehdi. Thank you so Cheers. much. Thank you so much.